Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'd also like to welcome you. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and um, I'll give you a little bit of insight, kind of what goes on behind the scenes here. This happened to me first service, and I was a little too overwhelmed by it to even know what to do, so I just kind of played it off. But I come out first service to preach, and I set my stuff down, and some people on our staff have placed a sticker of my head as a, as a college student right there on my... On my, on my little table here. So thankfully I had this uh, iPad cover and you just kind of go, and it's fine. It's all, it's all, it's all fine. That's what we are. So if you're uh, just welcome to the Grove, this, if that's weird to you, I'm sorry. It's where you ended up today. Um, you've caught us in the last week of a five-week series we've done. We've been going through the Apostles' Creed, this kind of early uh, document that kind of is this statement of faith that essentially is unified Christians for centuries, been around at least 1,600 years, and churches all over the world recite this. It's kind of a great summary of kind of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And first couple of weeks, I just read it, and then I just kind of warned everybody, like, hey, starting week three, we're going to read this, we're going to recite it together. And then, if you were here last week, you know this, if you weren't, it's the perils of summer, um, that what we're going to do, everybody else, when when they recite this, they stand up. So it's really kind of as a sign of unity with all our Christians uh, friends around the world. We're going to do what all the churches that kind of do this do. We're going to stand up and recite this together, so if you wouldn't mind standing up. Much, see, I guess maybe it was first service was, or I had to ask twice <laughs> earlier today. Um, all right, now it is together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's have a seat. Thank you. So this week, my youngest daughter, Layla, who's seven, she and I went to Branson uh, for about 24 hours or so. It's where my, my parents live there. So we went there in part to see them, and in part because there was some kid show at Silver Dollar City that we had to see that we had not seen. And really for the first time, it's only been open a couple of years, for the first time, uh, we went to this place called Fritz's Adventure. And what Fritz's Adventure is, like imagine it's like, a, like an indoor play place, but like times 100. Taller, bigger, more expansive, and then in addition to that, there's climbing walls and um, uh, ropes course. I mean, it was, it, was, it was incredible. We haven't gone because we're a little bit spoiled because my parents live there. Like we, we wait till things have a coupon or a discount or locals go free and we just let my parents, like whatever. And it's a little bit expensive. But a while back, they did this deal where if a kid is uh, adopted or in foster care, you could go for free. And we thought that was just a one-day deal, and it was, but very recently, they made it where that's just all the time. So a kid that has been adopted or has been in foster care, you provide documentation, and the kid gets to go for free. And so she and I decided that we would go check this out, the two of us. And I'm not going to lie to you, it is not designed for uh, middle-aged men. Uh, let me just say that there were several spaces where you're trying to crawl through. I'm not saying that they're exactly this width, but let's just say that they're 
this way, like, like, like this, right? But then you have this pressure of being cool, Dad. Come on, Dad, she says, and then we just go. And it's, it's anyways, and so afterwards I was like, man, this would be a great thing for you and Lauren to do next time. Um, but they had this deal, and I never really done this before. They had kind of a ropes course, I mean, it was an indoor deal. They put you in this harness, and then the harness has this strap, and the strap is kind of this almost like a little roller ball that kind of gets put in this track that then you kind of follows with you, like you're climbing up the stairs to get to where the course is. And then anytime there's a place where you can walk and do something, there's like several choices. You kind of move it around this little roundabout, and you go to this rope bridge or, or this tightrope or whatever, and you're kind of doing all this. And I was really proud. Um, I think I got Layla on there before she realized what we were doing. Um, but she was very brave the whole time, and she, she was out there for a few minutes, and then after, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes of that, you know, we're about as far away from the entrance slash exit as you can be. She's like, Dad, I think I'm done. I'm like, sweetheart, you can't be. Um, we got we to gotta go back. And so she okay. And so she, again, very brave, went through all of this. And, um, and I'm, 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 I'm telling her, you know, like, you know hey, you're going to be fine. This, 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 this strap's going to hold you. You're safe. And I can see on her face... Uh, the thing that I'm, just to be honest, I'm feeling a little bit in my own heart. Like, I'm just a little bit nervous. I mean, I mean you're, you're up there, and you're like, well, I mean, you know, just, they put the harness on you, and I guess I trust the kid who's I'm old enough to be his dad to, to put this thing on right, and I, I guess I trust, I trust this thing, and you're just kind of out there, and, 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 it, and you're, it's reasonable, right? It's reasonable to be a little bit afraid. I tell this to people who, are, who go on roller coasters. I mean, our family, we've talked about this, big roller coaster people. It's reasonable to be a little bit nervous, but, but you're safe. It's safe. It's, it's, all been, it's all been tested. It's something, there are all these things, and they're holding you in, and, and you're going to be fine. And I find myself as like, I'm, I'm saying to Layla with this confident assurance and listening to it at the same time. Like, you know, if something happens, you slip off this, you're going to be fine, Charlie. It's going to be, you're going to be okay, right? And then I realized after a while that that really wasn't what I was afraid of. I, I was 99.9% confident that if I slipped off this thing, this thing was going to hold. I think the thing that I was really afraid of is that I was going to slip off this thing and then I'm the 47-year-old dude dangling there in the air. That I didn't want that. I think that legitimately was what I was afraid of more than anything. And so today, as we're kind of wrapping up the Apostles' Creed, we're going to be talking about this question what happens after someone dies? And there's a few things, uh, statements that are made here. And, and I use this because like, we're going to talk about this thing. And if there's anything that really we have a, 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 a good reason to be afraid of, it's death. And uh, what, what happens? What is going to happen to me? Is there something or some part of me that will survive after death? And if so, what will it be like? And what are the options? And how does one get to decide? How, who decides where you go? And, 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 and what we believe should instill us with confidence. It should make us where it, it, it mitigates that fear. But at the same time, you're just like, I'm a, I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous for me. I'm a little nervous for people that I love and, and what's going on here. And so I wanna, that's the first thing I want to say is that it's totally reasonable, just like it's reasonable to get onto a ropes course or a roller coaster and be like, this seems like it could be scary. Obviously, staring in the face of death would be very scary. But what do we believe? 
What does the Bible teach us? What does Jesus tell us about what it means? What, what happens to us after we die? So in the, the Apostles' Creed, there's a couple of statements here. In the, one, in the section about Jesus, it describes one of the roles that he has, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. There, there toward the end, it talks about that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that the things that I've done in this life can be forgiven. I believe, we believe in the resurrection of the body, that, that, that there will come a time after death, you will have a body again. And we believe in the life everlasting, that, that death brings resurrection and ultimately a life that goes on forever. These are the things that we believe. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of just make a couple of points about this and um, look at a couple of passages, some different things that the Bible teaches. Because I know that there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of uncertainty about this. I mean, it, again, it can, it can cause a lot of nerves, and, and you've probably got some questions. And here's my pledge to you today, is that I will give you enough information so that you will leave here more confused than when you got here. So that's my money-back guarantee to you. Because here's the thing, for every question that gets answered about heaven or hell or the afterlife or these kinds of things. It's very natural. You ask one question, you answer one question, and two or three more questions pop up after that. And so that's very reasonable and normal. And so if at some point during this time you feel like you've got a question that you would like to be answered, that you feel like I don't cover well enough or just kind of seems like maybe doesn't get brought up at all, feel free to email me, charlie at thegrovechurch.org. We get enough of these things together. Maybe we'll put some kind of supplemental video on, um, on the web this week to kind of talk about this some more because 30 minutes is really not enough to kind of cover all the things that we would like to talk about. But the first thing that I want to bring up that I think is very clear, it's a very simple statement, and the verse that we're looking at is a very simple verse, but it is very clarifying to what uh, separates what Christians believe about uh, life after death and what a lot of people do. And we'll say it this way. First is this, is that there's death, then judgment. But there's an order to this. There's an order and a simplicity to this. Everyone is going to die, and then immediately following death becomes judgment. And so the verse that kind of talks about this is in Hebrews 9, verse 27. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And a very simple verse to explain a very simple concept. First there's death, and then right after death comes judgment. So there's a few things that that eliminates. What eliminates is like this body having immortality. It says everyone is destined to die. We believe that. Okay, sure. How many times does it say that we are destined to die? One time. And that eliminates a lot of theology of other world religions, some New Age people, some different ideas out there, that somehow that this life kind of can be recycled that you'll live this life and you'll live another life and you'll live another life in different forms and different places as different people or whatever, and that somehow there's just lots of chances and how I do in this chance kind of informs what my next, next chance will look like. Well, that is not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that you, you will die one time, and then after that one time, you will face judgment. And I think it's important, too, to make sure that we understand... Uh, the proximity of those two things. Death and judgment. Death, judgment. There's not a huge gap. There's not some place where 
Like you, you've, you, you've lived your life and then you die, and then suddenly after death you get another chance. And so what you believe to be true about God, who you believe, to be, who you believe God to be and your relation to Him, this is now, this is your time to get that right. And so there will not come a moment where after death, people who are like, well, I don't really think God exists. Wait, there He is right there. Uh, change my mind. You're clearly there and you seem upset. So I'm, I'm all in with you right now. That, that sound, you may want that to be true. We may wish that to be true. That somehow God is going to extend more chances for people post-death. But what the scripture teaches is that this is our chance. This is our time to determine who we are, who God is, and what our relationship with Him is. And then after this life, we have one death. And after this death, we face judgment. And so, well, what is that judgment and what is it based on? If you've been around here a few times, and we've even talked about this in the course of this series, um, that judgment is based on, on sin. If you are a sinner and you have committed sin, then what God says is that the wages of that sin is death. The consequence of that is death, both a physical and an eternal death. That is the consequence for sin. So if you are a sinner, someone who has committed sin then the consequence for you post-death is to be separated from God in this life and the next. Well, God didn't want that to be true of everyone, so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty for us. And so if you're a sinner, you are separated from God, but if you allow Jesus Christ to forgive you of that sins, we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus can forgive me, then instead of being separated from God for eternity... I will be with God for eternity. And so there are two choices, two places. A place of separation from God and a place with connection with God. And sometimes people talk about it in terms of this is for people who, who believe in Jesus, this is for people who don't believe in Jesus. Really, it's this is the place for sinners and these are the people who God has forgiven through Jesus. It's not rejecting Jesus or not knowing about Jesus that sends you here. It is your sin. It is your willful acts of sin and disobedience towards God. But God is redeeming some of us by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so these two places are called heaven and hell, paradise and Hades. I mean, there's lots of different words for them. Good place, bad places. You know, it is, I mean, there's lots of different ways to describe these places. And, and where you end up immediately after death, is based on your sin and your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, there's some other things that kind of inform what happens and what that looks like. And there's a parable that Jesus tells that I think is really helpful. And it's called Lazarus and the Rich Man. And in this parable, Lazarus, who was a follower of God, goes to, be, and goes to a place that Jesus calls in his parable, metaphor calls it Abraham's bosom, so a place where he is with Father Abraham, right? And the rich man, who was very selfish and greedy, he ends up in, in hell. And apparently, at least in this parable, he is able to interact, the, the rich guy is able to interact with, with Abraham. And he's like, I'm, I'm, this is overwhelming to me, and, and I, I need some relief. Would you be willing to just even to, like, to just touch, touch my tongue with a drop of water or something? And Abraham says, that it just doesn't work that way. He says, there's, essentially, there's a, a giant chasm between where you are and where we are. And we can't go to you, and you can't come to us. 
So again, emphasizing this idea of once you end up, once that judgment is determined, that's it. That, that's, where you, that's where you are. And um, interesting to note, I think it's important for us, that even if you end up in this place where like, I have given my life fully to Jesus Christ and I end up in heaven with him, the Bible does describe a bit of judgment for us, at least an evaluation period of sorts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes this. He basically says that your life, everything in your life is a metaphor. It's like you're building a house. And you can use all sorts of different materials to build your house. Basically saying there's lots of different things that you can give your life to. And essentially your whole life, this house that you built, is going to be put to a test. It's going to be passed through a fire. And as it goes through this fire, some of it is, some of it is going to be destroyed. But what is left, what is left is for you. And it is a reward that you get to take with you forever. The things that I do in this life, the things that matter, the things that... It, that, that, that are in devotion and love and service of my love and devotion to God and to people, those things I will carry with me as a reward, the things in my life that matter. And he says, but some people are going to get up there and essentially everything that they built is going to get destroyed. And then Paul says this about them. He says, and, and they will suffer loss, but they themselves will be saved but like one passing through a fire. Which is a real interesting metaphor, since fire is often used as a descriptor of what hell will be like. It says that your life's going to get burnt up, but you are going to be saved, but like someone who's went through a fire. And I think the intention of his descriptor here is, you're not going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven, but you smell a little bit like hell. And there's a handful of verses that kind of rattle around in my head. And, and that's one of them. That's one of the things that just kind, of, just kind of rattles around in there. It's like, man, what I do and who I am in this life, I can give my life fully to Jesus and, and be confident that I will be with Him forever. But it still matters. It matters deeply who I am and the way that I live. And my choices are to carry a reward or to just kind of pass through like one who barely escaped. And so I want to live my life in a way that when it's tested by fire, it is shown to be good. All right? So, so there's death and judgment, the judgment that puts us into these one of these two places, and then a judgment, at least an evaluation of sorts, that happens for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, where our lives will be evaluated. So what are these places like? What are heaven and hell like? And I'm just going to give you the very definitive answer to both of these things right now. What is heaven like? I don't really know. Right? You write that down. That is the most definitive thing that I will say today. I, I don't really know. In fact, if I were to be honest, there are some things in the Bible that seem a little bit confusing about it. On the some ways, and again, this is kind of a thing that has echoed the, that most of us probably think about, you know, like clouds and harps, right? You know, and... Giant worship service, like, like it's 24-7 worship service, right? But at the same time, it also describes us as having homes. It also says that God is going to make a new earth. Like what is the point of that if we're just 24-7 worship? Like we're all just hanging out in the presence of God worshiping nonstop when you're going home, right? What, what, what's the point of having an earth? And so there's, 
there's a bit of confusion to it. But here's the thing that we can say with confidence. It is for eternity in the presence of God and for the first time in our lives absent of the presence of sin. And all the things that that will be, every one of them will be great. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I just trust the one and that if I can be with him without sin in my own heart, without the sin of this world, in the presence of this God unfiltered, it's going to be great. What we're going to do day to day for eternity, I don't know. Obviously there will be some worship, but there seems to be some other things going on there too. But the reality of it is, the thing that makes it great is the absence of sin and the unfiltered presence of God in our life. And that is what heaven is. The day-to-day schedule, I'm uncertain about. But we can trust that the presence of God and the absence of sin is amazing. Now, what is hell like? And um, so again, this is a place where you go, where essentially, if heaven is to be in the presence of God, Hell is the absence of the presence of God. And so to some degree, people right now who are living apart from God are experiencing at least a taste of what that is like in the same way that God describes our life in Christ right now as a taste. I have the Holy Spirit in me and I'm experiencing life with God, but but more so. Right now, people are experiencing what it's like to, to be separated from God, but eventually more so. What would it be like to be in a place completely separate from the presence of God? Even those people who don't have God with them personally still live in a place where the presence of God permeates everything. What would it be like to be in a place where the presence of God is removed? What would that be like? Well, there's three primary descriptors that the Bible uses to talk about what this place is like. Darkness, destruction, and fire. Darkness, destruction, and fire. And all three of those are incredibly good descriptors of what we can imagine being apart from the presence of God would be like. Darkness. There's no light. There's no hope. It is a hopeless, empty place full of darkness. That makes sense. Fire. It, it burns. It, it, is, it, it, it hurts. There is, there is pain and misery and, and hurting there. And then destruction. It feels like that my very soul, the very who I am, is, is being destroyed. Now, there are people that like to speak very definitively about which one of those three illustrations dominates the other two. And it gets even used to say, well, you have to believe in literal fire and hell. And we are, in case you're wondering, we are people who take the Bible literally. Um, We we believe that if the Bible says a story happened, it happened, and we believe the truths that are taught are true. We don't evaluate it based on our own ideas, right? Right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't use illustrations or metaphors. It's like, but not here. Fire is is literal. It's a literal fire. I'm like, okay, here's my only question for that. My only question for that is, if if we have to take it literally, does literal fire exist in darkness? If we take fire literally, no, literal fire makes, makes, uh, makes, makes light. It can't be dark. And you go, well, but it... Well, it's like, a spirit, it's like a spiritual fire. They go, okay, that's fine. It's a spiritual fire. It's not a literal fire. And I'm not saying that there's not going to be fire there. I'm just saying these are people's best descriptions of what it feels like to be absent from the presence of God. 
It will be destructive. It will be dark and hopeless, and it will hurt. And so then some people like to focus on destructive, and destructive means that eventually uh, hell will have a limit to it, and then ultimately you will be destroyed, and that's called annihilationism, that you're punished for a while, but ultimately you'll be destroyed, and you'll cease to exist. I'm not necessarily advocating for that either. What I am saying, here's the things that we can be clear. The presence of God is not there, and it is an eternal punishment. Even if you are destroyed, you are destroyed forever. And so uh, most people, most Christians believe that it is a conscious eternal punishment. You are aware of your separation from God forever. Some people don't. Some people take the fire very literally. Some people take the darkness very literally. But here's the thing, just kind of like with heaven, we've got some basic descriptors and some ideas. Same thing with hell. Is that this is a place where God is not, and it is an eternal punishment. And you don't have to talk about hell very often to kind of like, that just kind of makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. And so the more we feel kind of uncomfortable and weird about it, we kind of get to one of two places. We either minimize it or eliminate it, or we get serious about taking God's hope and life to people who desperately need it. That's why it says on the wall when you walk in here, this is our mission, to reach people to become followers of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want you to, I don't want anybody to be eternally separated from the presence of God. I don't want you to be temporarily uh, separated from the presence of God. And so we want to give people hope. We don't want people to be stuck in the punishment and the consequences of their sin. We want people to know who Jesus Christ is and embrace that forgiveness. The last thing I'm going to say, and, and again, this is going to feel like I'm, I'm taking a shot at a particular Christian group. But I want to say this, that there's this idea out there of called purgatory, which is a place then where it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a hell substitute, but really it, it's more like a heaven substitute of sorts where you die and you, you got your ticket to go to heaven, but you're not quite ready. And so imagine it's like, like one of those little car washes that you drive through, right? You're driving through the little car wash. Like, I've got my ticket to go through the car wash, but I can't get on the other side until my car is clean. And so there's this process that you have to go through to get clean for a year, a thousand years, two thousand years, whatever. You go through this thing, and on the other end, you had your ticket. I got my Jesus ticket, but I'm not ready for it until I get clean first. There's not a biblical basis for that. There is a basis for it in what's called the Apocrypha, some extra books that the Catholic Church has. There's some parts about it that make sense, I suppose. But what we believe is that the ticket that you get with Jesus gets you in and makes you as clean as you need to be. He, he cleaned you. He didn't, he didn't just save you. He cleaned you up too. And so we do not believe in that, again, even though there are large portions of the Christian church that does believe that. So that's all kind of the theological stuff, but I want to end kind of with a little more rah-rah. Is that okay? So we believe that death, then judgment, but here's the thing that I want you to really walk away with, that the resurrection is real and gives hope. The resurrection is real and gives hope. These people in Thessalonians are really for the first time as believers experiencing death. People around them are dying and they're a little troubled by it. I think there's this part of us, man, you think I'm become a Christian and bad stuff's going to stop happening? They're kind of in that. I didn't know people were still going to die and what does that mean and what happens really when you die and they're, they're worried about it, which again is very reasonable. You feel that when someone you love dies. You feel it when you think about your own mortality. And Paul says this to comfort them. 
Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Again, he's not saying that grieving is bad. It's like we're not going to be hopeless. We're not going to do hopeless grieving. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise up, rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Guys, you don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus Christ has said that He will come back. And when He comes back, He will make sure that those who are dead are with Him forever. And if some of us happen to be around then, we're going to get there, but those, they're going to get to go first. And He's going to resurrect their bodies. They are with Him now, and then ultimately He will resurrect their body, give them a new body, a new, uh, a new life, a new type of existence. And you can know this. You can know, you can trust that those people, when they fell, they got caught, they are safe. They will not fall. And I'm saying this to my seven-year-old, don't worry, that rope will hold you. God said, don't worry. Jesus said, don't worry, death is safe. How, how do I know? How do I know if I fall, this thing's going to hold me? I'm not going to test it, right? I, mean, I don't, I don't want to know that bad, right? I'm not seeing any. I mean, hundreds of tests, I'm sure, were done on these things. So other people lived through it, experienced it, and it turned out it was safe. So when we just kind of randomly talk about death is safe, we're not just kind of speculating, like, I don't know. Jesus said he's not here anymore, but he said that he would take care of us. No, he came back. He died and he came back. He said, see, this is what I've been talking about. Death is not the answer. And this thing that, I, that God did for me, I promise I will do for all of you. And Paul says, comfort yourself with those words. It's reasonable, totally reasonable to feel a little bit of anxiety, to feel a little bit of fear. That's totally reasonable. But comfort yourself with the idea that the one that you love and trust has said to you, it is safe. I died, and I came back to life, and I will do the same for you. Death is not the end. Death is not the answer. Death is just, it's just a moment, and you will be safe with me forever. Comfort each other with these words. So let's just, let's just take hope in that today. Let's celebrate hope now. Let's worship and talk about how awesome it is that we do not have to be afraid, that we can have hope that we are safe with God forever. You can do that as we worship. There's obviously there's places to respond in the back as well. Communion is available, prayer candles. Prayer team would love to pray with you if you need some encouragement. You pray at the cross. You have an opportunity to give. Lots of different ways to celebrate the hope 
of eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I do. I just confess, just being a little nervous. When I think about death, I just get a little nervous. God, I thank you that it doesn't have to just end there, that the fear doesn't build on top of fear, but that we can trust in you. That, God, that you raised your son from the dead so that we could know that death is not the end. And so, God, I pray that we would live that way and believe that and trust in you that, that death is not the end for us. God, I pray for those of us here who have still not yet fully put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. God, that we would do that today. God, I pray that we would all take it seriously, that what we do in this life matters, that it will be tested. And God, I pray that you will burn in us a heart and a desire to love and share with those who still don't know you. And for all of us, God, who are grieving and hurting, God, I pray we will be encouraged by your words and by your Son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.